It is Locked on Jazz for the 18th of November. The Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. Are the Suns the best in the West? Or is there a surprise team out there we should all be thinking about? We'll look at that. Five reasons to believe in the Jazz and five reasons not to. An article in The Ringer will dissect what our thoughts are on that. And some points gained Friday. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Give you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it Way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Jazz and making it your first listen of the day. Today's show is brought to you in part by Bet Online. Bet Online, as you cover the season with more props, odds, lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, lots of fun stuff today. Jazz and the Phoenix Suns on a um, Friday night should be great. Then we head to Portland on Saturday. And the Clippers on Monday, so another three games in four nights. Uh, The league has enjoyed doing this. There is a feeling amongst the players that, like, the the Jazz got the bad schedule this year. That that there are schedules that they give teams that are bad and good. And the players will talk about the bad schedule. Kelly Olenek even said it the other day, kind of like, oh, I don't even know what Utah's like yet. And Lowry the other day was kind of talking about it. All four time zones, all of it. Um, So it's a little bit of a... It's a little bit of a... um, uh, chip on their shoulder uh, right now to deal with that. Uh, the Ringer wrote a piece, five reasons to believe in the Jazz and five reasons not to. I, I I get the concept where the talk of everything was surprising. I'm a little, as someone who's around the team every day and what they're doing, like I'm a little, this idea that like if they start to, like what we, what is the belief thing, I guess is what I'm asking. Like they're, they're pretty good. Um, we did a lot of analysis this week for you and looked at it. And, you know, I think it would be very surprising at this point if they were to win less than 35 games. Um, and it would probably take a fairly significant move for them to lose more than 30 games. Um, or excuse me, win less than 30 games. And if you look at the roster, it feels as though it's a team that at, at times I think will be a little overwhelmed. Um, but also at times I think will be you know, will be really, really solid. And I think we'll wear out. Like, that's the, I think what we saw a little bit in the last few games is a roster that will wear out at times. And that's kind of what I'd suspect um, we see, that you're asking everyone to do a little bit more than they've ever done before. And that burden is real. And the real value of superstar players in this league is that they carry the mail for you every single day. And everyone kind of plays inside that role and they don't have the burden. Our guys... It's a collective effort, and it's going to take that, but it's also going to take that kind of chaos and those other things, and so some of that will fall off. So my five reasons to believe and five reasons not to believe are probably really different than what the Ringer um, did, though I thought the article by Zach Karam was really good, so I wanted to just use it. And we've touched on some of these. I thought it was probably where most of you are. With two days off, having lost three in a row, um, you know, I I had a kind of feeling that probably this is exactly what most of you are all talking about every day is, you know, is, should we believe or not believe? And then believing, again, as I said, you know, 
I don't know what that means. Like, are we suddenly become a 55? We're the third best differential in the West. I don't believe we're the third best team. So if that's like, are you believing that we're the third best team in the West? Okay. Then, then that's, then you're taking it up a level than maybe I am. Um, do I think this team as it's constructed right now, we end up with a really fun battle for a playing game and maybe get to play a playing game. Absolutely. And I think that'd be great. How fun would that be? Um, so let's talk about it. He says the first one's point differential. We talked about this this week that in a past episode of Locked on Jazz that at this point of the season, point differential 15, 16 points in is a really, really good indicator on what you are as a team. And uh, it's actually the best indicator. It's better than record. It's better than anything else. And so when you look at point differential right now in the NBA, Boston's number one. They're the only team over seven. Like I would like pan in Boston as an NBA finalist team at this point. They're the one team that seems dominant. Phoenix is 6.2, which is wildly impressive that they're back at it. Fourth best offense, third best defense. Chris Paul's been out, um, and they've been remarkable. Uh, Milwaukee is the third best, and they've been floating. Their defense is way better than everyone else in the NBA by by leaps and bounds. Um, And then the really interesting story here, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the second segment, is New Orleans is fifth. Cleveland, who's lost five in a row, is sixth. And then Utah is seven, with Denver right behind them. And now Sacramento and Dallas... And Memphis, all super close, with a good drop to Portland and Minnesota and Golden State. And um, that gets into 11 teams. And so is one of those teams, as we talked about, I think, on yesterday's show, going to fall out. Um, But those are 11 teams in the Western Conference with a positive differential. And 11 teams are battling for 10 spots, six playoff spots and four play-in spots. Um, and I think that's, uh, oh, excuse me, that's 10 teams. The Clippers are minus 1.5. They, they, they should be added in as the 11th team. I think we all believe the Clippers, but that's it. So do I think the Jazz, you know, have a real chance? Absolutely. Uh, and I believe in that. So point differential is the first thing he pointed out. And this is kind of the moment where point differential matters. Um, and so that's why what Phoenix has done so far this year and what, um, New Orleans has done is interesting. And then where Portland and seems suspect and Minnesota does seem problematic. Uh, the second one is something we talk, and I, I, this may be why I like this article, these reiterating a lot of things that you, we've talked about. So I'm just a huge believer in shot distribution. Um, I think if you can go shave a point or two off on each side of the ball each night, it really, really matters. Um, and we're doing some great things in, in our three-point shooting. We take the fourth most amount of threes in the NBA and we allow the fewest amount of threes in the NBA by a pretty considerable margin. And we talked um, yesterday on the status check show of which these things we thought was maintainable and which things we thought were not. The, our three, our corner three-point shooting and some of our shooting is through the roof right now overall. Um, we're shooting 47% on corner threes. That's probably not sustainable. It's nine points better than the league average. But we're also not particularly great above the break, and I think things will come back around in other areas where that slumps. So I think our three-point shooting overall, which is right about league average, maybe a little better, holds. And then... Uh, and then the next side of that is our, our denying of threes is really, really great. Now, overall, our shot distribution is not that exceptional. On offense, our, we're 10th best. And on defense, we're only 13th best. It's not like we're really stealing from each side. Uh, Milwaukee's really stealing from each side right now. Milwaukee, um, offensively, I think, is 12th best in shot distribution Dallas is the best in the NBA, um, and Dallas is the fifth best team defensively. Jason Kidd actually is playing the analytically best game of any coach out there. Milwaukee defensively is stealing um, as well. They're they're the second best team in the league in defensive and and Boston. Right? I mean, I think this stuff really matters. Boston, who who allows the whose defense allows the toughest shots right now 
just based on location on the floor, is Boston, Milwaukee, Golden State, um, actually Washington, to their credit. They always are really good at that. And Dallas. Um, And I'm, you know, as I said, I think you've heard me say I'm I'm relatively bullish on Washington and um, uh, I'm pretty bullish on Washington and Sacramento right now and teams that most people are not talking about that I think watching them, I think they look better and then analytically they look better. So the next one he had was that our offense will be okay. And I think that's true. This is not a team I'm particularly worried about offensively. I do think some of our guys will wear down a little bit. The burden on Mike's real. The burden on Jordan's real. Um, Mike is seven of his last 31 and two of his last 17. He's actually way better at home than he is on the road this year. Um, And so I think some of that stuff's going on. Jordan right now is nine of 31, five of his last 18. Um, So it does seem as though there's some burden there. Jordan first half is shooting nine percentage points better than he does in the second half. Um, So, you know, we'll keep an eye on that. But Beasley can shoot. Sexton can make plays. Will Hardy's using these guys brilliantly. So I'm not particularly worried about offense. And and then the, the fifth reason, fourth reason he gave to believe was a lot of creators, which is feels very similar to number three. So I kind of just bunch those together and we can move on. And then this fifth one is Lowry. And I think that is true, that Lowry is going to develop as the year goes on. This is probably going to be the most single exciting story for us all season long into just a better and better player, understanding the burden of being the go-to guy each and every night. He has not scored 20 in three straight games. We've lost all 20. Um, he He's shooting 56, 57%. He plays the game in a manner where he plays it the right way, does he develop a game where it's like, okay, go get us a freaking basket? Like, is that a part of his? Is that a part of his DNA? Maybe it's not. That's fine too. And then you know he's your second or your third banana on a fabulous team. And I think that he probably is right now thought of as a third best player on a fabulous team. Can he be the second best player on a fabulous team um, as the Jazz continue to build? And those are, those are the five reasons that the they they gave to believe. Um, and I, I would say actually the other one that is not in there is, is Kelly Olynyk and Mike Conley are the fabric that are holding this team together uh, in a really fabulous manner. So I, I would have included that. I just think they play a manner that, that makes, helps you win games. And then the, th- the third one that I would have or mentioned that it's not in there. And if you're not around the team every day, it's fun. You know, Will Hardy walking through the locker room the other day saying, Hey, fun's underrated in the NBA. Let's have some fun. I think the environment and atmosphere that Will Hardy's building around this team uh, every day is another reason to believe. All right, let's, we'll talk about the concerns coming up a little bit. Um, I just touched on some of them. Um, and then we'll discuss Phoenix, who I, I'm really wildly impressed with, and, and touch on some of those things in the West before we do a little points game uh, rundown today. So a lot of league stuff as well as getting ready for the Jazz and the Suns and the Jazz and the Blazers on Saturday. So a great weekend of games. 4.50 today on the floor, 6 o'clock pregame with Tim Lacombe and Jake Scott. 7 o'clock tip-off. Uh, you can get us on SiriusXM. You can get us on the Utah Jazz app. You can get us on 97.5. Please let me know if you're having problems with the app. I'm hearing that. I want to try to figure out what's going on with that. Um, and then if you have, if I know a bunch of you want to listen in arena and that's not working anymore, I'm going to try to see what I can find out about that for you today um, as well. So those are the topics on my agenda to help you out with today. You let me know what else um, you need. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. The good, our good friends over at uh, Bet Online have, excuse me, over at Murdoch Hyundai have been doing amazing 
amazing work through this pandemic and all these shortages and their car inventory is increasing, increasing, increasing. Yay for you, the winner. I helped out a guy the other day uh, and got him set up. This is the way it works. Feel free to email me so that we can take a moment and get you set up with a VIP meeting over at uh, the Murdoch Hyundai. And I've got sales guys at each location to give you that experience and want to make sure that you uh, really feel that um, and get that opportunity um, and get that VIP set up. The Santa Fe is the, we have two of them. Uh, the Palisade is the absolutely gorgeous, fabulous, beautiful um, car out there that uh, is the biggest SUV. And then the small Kona zips around everywhere. The Tucson's right in between. So it's a pretty neat combination of lineups. And you get more bells, you get more whistles, you get more things than you could possibly imagine uh, for the dollar at bet on. Excuse me, I'm all over the place. At, I was trying to do two things at once. You can probably tell and you'll know what it is in just a minute. Um, over at Murdoch Hyundai, located 4646 South State Street, also in Logan and in Linden. Ah, David trying to multitask at the same time, and it did not work. Why? Because our show is also brought to you by our friends over at BetterHelp. And I was trying to get that overlay ready for you so that you could see that. Um, BetterHelp uh, is sponsor for today's show. And uh, BetterHelp is, I think you may have heard of them before. Uh, they are there, you know, in a day that's kind of the world's getting funky and hard and difficult. And navigation of all life challenges make you feel uncertain or career changes make you cringe or new relationships make you stressed. Or So there are therapists that are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing uh, to a guided tour of complex engine that is you. BetterHelp has now connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient. It's accessible anywhere. It's 100% online. I think the other aspect of this is anyone who's been trying to get a therapist recently knows that they're like almost impossible to get. So as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed vetted therapists available 100% online. It's also affordable. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist at any time. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist, no six-month waiting list. Learn more and save 10% on your first month at betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash locked on n b a thanks so much for making locked on jazz your first listen of the day we are free we're available on all podcasting apps we're also available on youtube great to have you aboard feel free in the youtube content why do you believe why do you not believe in our youtube comments um today so the number one thing people are saying on not believe is regression on the three point um regression um I'm not buying this food of thought as much as everybody else is. Um, The only thing we talked about in the status check show was the Jazz have done an absolutely brilliant job of denying the three. The general rule in the NBA is that offenses dictate threes and defenses dictate rim shots. So the feeling is that an offense can choose how many threes they want. There's not a lot you can do to take it away. Now, the Mavericks took it away from us in the playoffs last year. So maybe there's more and more. But a defense dictates the rim. Like if Milwaukee wants to put Brooke Lopez right at the rim and not allow you to shoot more than 25% of your shots at the rim, you're not getting more than 25% of your shots at the rim. Um, and then you get threes instead. Golden State's really denying the rim this year at a pretty outrageous rate too. So that's always been the feeling. We're doing the opposite, which leaves you a little questioning of whether we can maintain not allowing any threes. And because 
we're allowing, and this is the third thing, because we're allowing 37% of our shots at the rim, if we ever stop start allowing threes again, it's going to be problematic. Um, so that's something we got to keep an eye on. Is, is until, unless we can figure out a way to deny the three. The other one I would say, and this is not a lot of shots, but it is worth mentioning. For all this idea that there's going to be regression on the mean, that teams are not shooting threes very well against us, 33%, both on corner and on non-corner. Teams will start making corner threes. They're also shooting 50% on long twos and 45% on mid twos, which is really high. So that's going to come back down. So I'm not as um, surprised by that. You know, our, lack, our, our roster is, was not built. The last five, four or five years, our roster's been built every year with the intention of trying to win a championship and hopefully having every gap filled. I don't feel like Justin and Danny did that this year. I don't think that was their goal is to have a roster that doesn't have some gaps that Will Hardy has to kind of deal with and coach to every single night. And that is, you know, we really don't have great wing defenders. We have great length and we don't really have great rim defenders. And so that I think is just going to be a hurdle all year long. And if we are trying to make the next step to be a championship team right away, you would start to make some adjustments to try to deal with that. Those would be, I think, the first things you would hear them talk about. And maybe Walker Kessler can go from 17 minutes to 25 as the night, as the year matures, as he matures during the year, and you're able to to knock some of those things off. That would be that would be one way. That's our one rim defender we have on the roster. I also do think that Lowry Markinen at the center this year has been surprisingly good. I don't haven't looked at the data of whether or not we're any good in those circumstances. But I feel like Lowry Markinen himself, when he's played the drop big as a five, has been good. He's also been our best wing defender. So at some point you can only ask Lowry to do so much. Um, but I do think he's actually a better drop big defender as a seven-footer with his versatility and his height than I would have ever suspected. And um, and looking at some data, it's clear that Cleveland did more of it last year than I realized, not watching them every day. So I that would be one I might keep an eye on, is that when... Um, and I'm thinking about this as Lowry's... You know, Kelly Olynyk's off the floor, Jared Vanderbilt's off the floor, Walker Kessler's off the floor. And so we've really gone to... Um, at that point, we've gone to Lowry as our center. In those, I'm looking it up right now, in those lineups this year, our defense is in the 96th percentile. That's interesting. A one this is, so the eyeball was right. We've not rebounded well, though. Um, so this is Julie Conley, Sexton, Conley, Clarkson, Beasley, and then Taylor Horton Tucker or some combination of that. But Markinen just playing pure center has been a pretty good um, combo for us this year. Walker Kessler playing... Uh, pure center this year, and I, I would call that again. The reason I mentioned take out Olenek and Vanderbilt is because if they're on, if Olenek's on the floor, people are going at him in the pick and roll. The defense with Walker Kessler just at center is in is 318 possessions with no Kelly Olenek or no Jared Vanderbilt is a 97.5 in the hundredth percentile. So we actually have two defensive options right now if they want to play drop big, which is Walker Kessler or Lowry Markinen at center <clears throat> without Kelly Olenek or Jared Vanderbilt. And it will be interesting to see how these things evolve um, over time and whether we start to go to those more to solve that weakness. So again, this really versatile roster that's not put together completely, my point here is that, like, okay, you can say that's a reason not to believe, and I just kind of gave it, but I actually think that's also something that there is the answer is out there if they decide, if as the season goes on, and Will Hardy's been really masterful so far at finding the best way to maximize guys. And 
you know, we'll, we'll in, be interesting to see if we see more Walker Kessler. I do think right now what Will Hardy's done, and you have to sometimes realize this with plus, minus, and ratings, he's put Walker Kessler in only positions to succeed. And the minute things start to go haywire at all, he gets Walker Kessler out of the game, maintain his confidence, and keep him rolling. And so his numbers will be inflated because of that. Uh, they mentioned the schedule that we're going to play tougher teams coming up. I just can't imagine the schedule could be any more difficult um, than what it's been. And then the last one they mentioned is the front office and whether the front office um, does something to derail this team in its ability to win. And I do think that the pro- the, the sight line for the front office is still a 36 to 48 month sight line, not trying to be great in April. And so what I think has been very consistent about what Danny has done in trades and is on the first two big ones, they were just great trades. They, they were, you had to take him. If you didn't take either of those two deals, you're negligent. Then on the Boyan Bogdanovich trade, you want to open things up for Lowry Markkinen. But frankly, without Kelly Olenek, we didn't really have a roster that could play basketball. And so that that was a move that cleared $8 million of cap space and went and got the Jazz a player who can really play and allow the other players to play around him. We didn't want to be starting Walker Kessler yet. We weren't ready for that. And then the third trade, Taylor Horton Tucker is just better than Patrick Beverly. So what you're seeing out of Danny... And Justin, is they're not making trades for the sake of making trades to de- derail the team to try to get to a roster. They're making trades when the market yields them a high value and the market hasn't yielded them a high enough value on these other players. If the market does yield a high value for Jordan Clarkson, Jared Vanderbilt, Mike Conley, um, maybe even, I'd, I'd be really surprised on Lowry Marketing, but no one's untouchable in this league, but understanding um, his role, I'd be surprised. But really any other player, Malik Beasley, the market yields it, I would just, and it's a good trade. Danny's like Danny's not one who peaked out on not making deals, but he does not make he doesn't make deals unless they're good deals, and that's been his signature um, throughout. So that's my thoughts on the reasons to believe and not to believe. I thought it was really well done, but I I thought there was some insight maybe from being here and around the team every day that was a little different. That's why I wanted to share that. Um, I, I mentioned this earlier. I just wanted to kind of as we look at the West, and we are at this point where point differential is really the best indicator. And I'm using cleaning the glass because I like the fact they take out blowout minutes. So Phoenix is number one at 6.2. New Orleans is number two at 5.3. New Orleans is doing something really interesting. There's four factors. Dean Oliver in his book, Basketball on Paper, wrote about the four factors of the NBA. So that's shooting, effective field goal percentage, turnover rate, rebounding rate, offensive and defense, and free throw rate. Those are the four factors. So there's eight. You almost never see a team that is above average in both. It's almost impossible to do in all eight. You almost never see a team that's above average in all eight. So, for example, Boston right now is the number one offense in the league, but they're 28th in offensive rebounding. It's just not third best shooting team, second best in turnover, seventh best in getting the free throw line. They don't offensive rebound. Okay, like every team's got. Like last year, the Jazz team defensively was great. We just didn't force turnovers. We played a shell. We didn't. Boston's similar. They're 12th defensively. They're fifth best against the shot. They're 13th in rebounding. They're 12th in free throw rate. They don't force turnovers. They're the last in the league. This is very, very common. You look at almost every team, good team in the NBA over the years, and they're really good in some of the four factors, but they usually have one or two where they're not. New Orleans is right now on the verge of being above average in every four factor. I've almost never seen it. But it makes me think they might be way better than we realize. They're the... They're the 5th best offensive team. They're the 12th best shooting, 11th best at turnovers, 8th best at offensive rebounding. They're 17th at free throw rate. That that I actually think would go up with Zion. Ingram is adverse to contact, so he's probably not. But defensively, they're 6th in 
defense. They're 14th against the shot. That's the number to keep an eye on. If that gets down anymore, then they'll fall apart a little bit. They're 8th best in turnover rate. They're ninth best in offensive rebounding rate, and they're or defensive rebounding rate, and they're ninth best in forcing free throws. I, I've it's it's an eye opening shot to me on New Orleans. Um, I, I if I had to take a guess right now for the the best in the West, I had uh, uh, openly admit I had Minnesota to start the year, and their their team chemistry stuff is just so bad. Um, though I think they're fixable. Um, I, I actually think New Orleans is going to be the number one seed in the West. Like, unless Phoenix can really hold this off. I'm assuming Phoenix just gets tired um, and has done this before and is similar to we are last year where you just don't have the motivation. And Monty Williams has done a pretty masterful job so far. Utah's third at 3.0. Denver has got the is 2.8, and the Jokic is just amazing. But they are horrendous defensively. The addition of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. being back, they're really bad defensively. Um, Sacramento is next and they're really bad defensively too, but their offense is churning right now. Um, Dallas is next and they have, they are trying to figure out how to manage Luca. Memphis is at 1.8. Um, and they are off doing their thing, offensive rebounding at a crazy rate. Uh, but they were without Desmond Bain for a while. And then Portland's 10 and five, but their differential doesn't match it at all. So they're, and they're only 18th offensively. There's a feeling that falls apart a little bit. So anyway, I wanted to look at the West. I really wanted to kind of just shout out um, New Orleans. I've been shouting out Sacramento for about two weeks, and now they finally have clicked in. Um, and I also think Willie Green runs great stuff. I think he might be the most underrated coach um, in the league in some of the way that he's not talked about in that realm. All right, right, let's. Uh, we'll do points gained uh, coming up here in just a second. Uh, our buddy John Corrales, who's locked on Celtics, just got a subscription to Masterclass. My wife was given Masterclass as a gift. It's pretty neat. Um, Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, at your own pace. You can learn, you know, whether it's a chef or Steph Curry jumper or the list is kind of endless and awesome. Um, a wide variety of topics, how to write a book, how to write a screenplay, whatever you might be interested, over 180 exclusive classes taught by instructors you know and love. Uh, very well done. The Sessions sessions is a new product from Masterclass. allows for a deeper dive into lessons over a month-long period. Includes projects to submit uh, to a teaching assistant for feedback. So they've really they've amped it up um, a little bit. It's all pretty cool. Art of negotiation, songwriting, Relational intelligence, we all probably need that. How to think like a profiler. Power of personal branding. Use of voice as an instrument. Mariah Carey, I'm going to go take your class. Gordon Ramsay on cooking. So super, super stuff. 11 categories, 180 instructors. It's all there. It's all at Masterclass. Um, So it's pretty awesome uh, to go jump aboard. Grab all of it over at Masterclass. Um, Highly recommend you check it out this holiday. Give one annual membership and get one for free. Go to masterclass.com slash locked on today. That's masterclass.com slash locked on for your thing. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online, where the game begins. Odds, news, scores, all the rest at Bet Online. Well, I just told you what I thought about the West. Let's go take a look at what Bet Online's odds say about it. This is where you can get into the action this weekend. Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. Uh, NFL action as well. Some big lines in the NFL this week. I think somebody was up by, by 13. Tonight, the Jazz and the Suns. Jazz, Suns are a point-and-a-half favorite in Utah. Uh, tonight, New Orleans and Boston play. That's going to be a great one. Boston is a two-and-a-half-point favorite against the Pels. Dallas is a nine-point favorite against Denver because Jokic is out, remember. Um, and the Lakers are a seven-point favorite over the Pistons because the Pistons are horrendous. Um, 
here's your conference futures. I just said New Orleans, so let's see what Bet Online says. The Warriors are plus 360. Clippers are plus 375. Suns are plus 450. Denver's plus 800. Memphis plus 800. Dallas plus 1,000. New Orleans are plus 1,200. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, points gained is our metric we use exclusively here to Locked On, and what it is is a data point that I kind of to evaluate offensive players. We look at both the efficiency by which they use an individual possession compared to the league average. And then in addition to that, and true shooting percentage in the league is way up. My goodness gracious, it's at 57.2 right now in true shooting percentage. Um, Effective field goal percentage in the league is way up to 53.5. We are in an offensive revolution. So... Um, so really, really, uh, so the, the idea of points gained is we take the amount of possessions a player uses scoring opportunities on a given night. So for example, Kelly Olenek uses 10. Then we compare that 10 to how they do compared to the league average and what the average player in the league would do with those possessions. And so for the year right now in the 10 possessions scoring opportunities that Kelly Olenek uses, he is 10 points better than league average. Um, Excuse me, two points better than league average in the 10. That is great. Um, anything over three is elite. Anything over two is really good. Kelly Olenek is our best right now at two. Lowry Markinen is 1.9. That's super good, uh, particularly for someone who's high volume, increased his usage the way he has. Walker Kessler's 0.9. Jared Vanderbilt's 0.7. Colin Saxton's 0.2. He goes to the free throw line 14% of his possessions, which is awesome. Malik Beasley is 0.2. Simone Fontecchio is going to get extended time now with Rudy Gay out for a while. Is a minus 0.2. Mike Conley is a minus 0.9. Jordan Clarkson's a minus 0.9. Taylor Horton Tucker's a minus 1.2. Rudy Gay is a minus 1.3. If Fontecchio can stay at the 0.2, replacing Rudy Gay, that'll be a nice uptick for us. Um, Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson is a minus 0.9, and this offense is still sixth best in the league. is a pretty impressive accomplishment um, so far. It's also a tip of the hat to the work of uh, what Will Hardy and the crew have done. All right, let's look at the league's best points gained right now in the NBA. So again, Steph Curry, 23 scoring opportunities a night. You give those 23 scoring opportunities to an average player in the NBA. Steph is destroying the league right now. Um, and it's not being talked about enough. And the Warriors are losing, so no one's noticing. Uh, he is plus six. The next best in the league is plus 3.6. Steph Curry is eerily close to two times better offensively than the second best play, two times more impactful on a given night than the second best player in the NBA. In fact, this is crazy. Steph Curry is two times more impactful on a night, points gained, than all but six players in the NBA. Steph Curry is breaking the game right now. It's in, it's insane. So Steph is plus six. Durant is plus 3.2. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, my gosh, the other night was ridiculous, plus 3.4. Joel Embiid, plus 3.4. Nikola Jokic, plus 3.3. Donovan Mitchell, plus 3.2. He's always been borderline average on this, so congratulations to Don. He is killing it. Kevin Herter is plus 3.0 in Sacramento, which is probably why they're so good right now, shooting 53% from three. Okay, those play. Kevin Herter's 3.0. He actually doesn't count. Every other player in the league, Steph Curry is plus six on a given night, two times the value. Also think about this. 
There's only five players, other players in the league that are actually plus three. So if you're trying to catch Steph Curry 6.0 and you're the opponent, it's almost impossible. The fact the Warriors are losing is stunning. Absolutely stunning with Steph Curry playing at this level. The next group of guys that are all over two, Dame Lillard plus 2.9, Jason Tatum 2.9, Boyan Bogdanovich 2.7, Miles Turner 2.7, Carl Anthony Towns 2.6, Grant Williams 2.5, Jeremy Grant 2.4, Bull Bull in Orlando 2.3, De'Aaron Fox having by far his best season 2.2, Mikel Bridges 2.2, Kelly Olenek, and then Anthony Lamb in Golden State and Desmond Bain in Memphis. Um, few other names. Rudy Gobert, who's usually on the top of this list, is at 1.9. And Lowry Markkinen's right there. So that's the way this works. That's points gate. What Steph's doing is crazy. You have almost, you only have, we usually only have three or four players over three. We'll be there. We usually have about 10 or 12 players over two, and he's at six. It's incredible. Here's an interesting note for you on the players who are having the biggest negative impact in the NBA right now. LeBron's points gain is worse than Russell Westbrook's. For all that talk. The other one is that everyone's talking about wanting to trade for Terry Rozier. He's the most negatively impactful player in the NBA right now. Minus 3.8. CJ McCollum in New Orleans is next at 3.3. And I just talked about how great New Orleans is. Makes me think that they could be really good. Cade Cunningham was out with an injury. He's minus 3.3. That's a little bothersome uh, at this point. Clay Thompson minus 3.2. That stems to a lot of the Warrior problems. Never worry if I see a rookie in here and Jabari Smith minus 2.9. But not great to see Trey Young at minus 2.9 or RJ Barrett at minus 2.9. Malachi Branham out of San Antonio is a rookie. Who cares? Dylan Brooks is never efficient. He's at minus 2.6. LeBron, minus 2.5. Kelly Oubre, minus 2.4. Remember when the season started and I had Dallas as a play-in team instead of a championship team and everyone's fired up? It's because Tim Hardaway's back. He hurts them. He's a minus 2.2. James Booknight in Sacramento is a minus 2.1. Keon Johnson in Portland is a minus 2.1. So is Justice Winslow. So is Kevin Porter. Denver, Jamal Murray is a minus 2.1. Let's keep a close eye on this one. He's just not shooting it well. Um, not getting the line. Only 5% of his possessions and obviously coming off that ACL. But they're they're right on the edge of the number one offense in the league so that Jamal Murray can kick in. Here's what's interesting. CJ McCollum, Jamal Murray, Tim Hardaway Jr., any of these guys that are so incredibly uh, impactfully negative click in, those teams get way, way better. Um, Josh Giddy is minus 1.8. And his shooting's always a problem. He now no longer goes to the free throw line. He's going to line 3.1% of his possessions. That's actually worrisome for me um, on Giddy and some early numbers there. Russell, by the way, is just a minus 1.6. All right, that's your points gained. Some interesting things there. Steph's blowing up the league. Um, we'll talk about it all p- postcast tonight and Saturday night after the game. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Locked on Jazz. Now make your second listen of the day, Locked on Sports Today.